Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be bringing you the conclusion of the case of Roxanne Houston in Taos, New Mexico. If you haven't heard part one, you might want to skip back one episode and join us right back here. And with that said, let's get right to it. Last week, we went over the discovery of a shallow grave in an isolated area just outside the city of Taos in New Mexico. The victim was quickly identified as 33-year-old Roxanne Roxy Houston. Roxy had suffered a single gunshot wound to the head, a very unique 7.62 by 25 caliber bullet still inside her skull when her body was recovered. Investigators had learned that Roxy had gone missing in June of 2014 after an argument with her boyfriend Johnny. The argument was over her ex-boyfriend Vernon, who Roxy still went to check on. Vernon had been kicked off the compound in Two Peaks just prior to Roxanne's disappearance. Law enforcement also learned that according to Vernon, she had plans to head back to Colorado with him, but Roxy never showed. They had tracked down Johnny and Vernon, who both gave them the name of another man, Ivan Kales. Johnny, Vernon, and Roxy's friend Sunshine all claimed to police that Ivan Kales had a handgun. This wasn't just any run-of-the-mill handgun either, but rather an older Czechoslovakian pistol. We went over the white Jeep Cherokee with the awful smell that Ivan had signed over to Johnny. You know, the one that lit up like a Christmas tree when crime scene techs later applied Blue Star. And Johnny had even mentioned in his interview that Ivan had taken the Cherokee out to the Pataka, a.k.a. the place Roxanne's body had been found. And we're almost all caught up. We left off with investigators locating Ivan Kales and him voluntarily coming down to the Taos County Sheriff's Department to talk. At first, investigators didn't tell Ivan that Roxanne's body had been positively identified and instead asked him what he knew about what was going on. 
According to court documents, he claimed all he knew was that Johnny had reported Roxanne missing and that a body had been found, somewhere around Two Peaks, or something like that. Later during the interview, Ivan was asked to recount the altercation between he and Roxy just prior to her disappearance, the one investigators had learned about from Johnny. And his story matched Johnny's. Ivan claimed that on that particular evening, he, Roxanne, and another man were all having a conversation. According to Ivan, Roxanne wanted to interject one of her, quote, off-the-wall stories, and Ivan cut her off and stated, Roxanne, stop lying. You don't have to be lying. You know we're all human beings. You don't have to make up stories. That's when, again, according to Ivan Kales, Roxanne got quiet and walked away into the bus turned house she lived in with Johnny. That was it. There was no big blow up or argument. Roxanne simply walked away. And then he decided to go camping in Three Peaks, just as Johnny had hours before. When asked if he had any clue who would hurt Roxanne, Ivan threw shade directly at Vernon, stating, Offhand, my biggest suspicion would be Vernon. And y'all, he had these suspicions about Vernon, despite the fact that according to his own account, he had only met the man once. He informed investigators that to the best of his recollection, this slight altercation and unplanned camping trip had occurred in June during the period of the full moon. Put that full moon detail in your thinking cap and hold on to it for later. When asked if he owned any guns, he admitted that in the past he had a shotgun and a 22 rifle, but denied that he had ever owned a handgun, and he sure as shit didn't have one now. When confronted with the fact that other people had seen him with a handgun, he claimed he was being set up. Detective Salazar asked if Ivan would be willing to give a sample of his DNA. He quickly agreed, and Detective Salazar then began laying out the evidence police had gained so far like the seasoned investigator he was, calmly putting it all on the table. He told Ivan that Roxanne had been identified that not only had the Jeep he owned at the time of her disappearance been seized, but further, the luminol testing had shown the presence of blood. That experts were reviewing the bullet located with the body, and they'd soon have a definitive answer as to exactly what caliber that bullet was. And how Johnny had already told officials about his drive to the Pataka, where Roxy's body had been found. And Ivan's response? Well, let's just say he started throwing shade like a firefighter tossing candy at a 4th of July parade. He went on and on about other people and the Two Peaks area, and all the pot they were growing and smoking. Seemingly thinking if he ratted on people possessing too many ganja plants, the officers were going to halt their murder investigation and go track down the pot dealers. Solid plan there, buddy. Ivan started talking about a tweaker house and all the drugs in Two Peaks, all things that had nothing to do with nothing. Detective Salazar was just about to wrap things up and call it a day. He was literally writing down his cell number on a business card and getting ready to escort Ivan Kales out the door while instructing him to call if he heard any new information. That's when Ivan said ever so nonchalantly, uh, I do have one thing. Detective Salazar couldn't have known it at the time, but Kales was about to drop a bombshell. The detective simply responded, okay. 
And that's when Ivan went on to tell Salazar a little story. A story about how he and Johnny had gone up to Two Peaks in early July to get some firewood. While they were there collecting the wood, Ivan claimed he found a partially burned bra just lying there on the ground. The mood in the room shifted. Ivan went on to tell Detective Salazar that he had also found a bone as he held his hands about a foot and a half apart and stated about the bone. It had an orangish color to it like it had been underground or something, because I know it wasn't sun bleached. And when I picked up the bra, I just made the comment to Johnny. I said, it looks like some chick got sick of her bra. Ivan went on to say that he pulled at some partially buried clothing nearby. And further, he had touched the bone, the clothing, and the bra. And I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Never in the history of ever had police released details about the scene to the public, especially not the one about the charred bra located at the scene. Ivan claims he didn't think anything of this discovery and that it had occurred before Roxanne went missing and after his Jeep had quit running. Except he had already told Salazar minutes before that this whole incident had occurred in late July, and that would have been well after Roxanne went missing. He then pretty accurately described the area where Roxanne's body had been found. It's a good thing criminals are generally idiots. But maybe Ivan laying this story out for Detective Salazar wasn't as stupid as it sounds. Because maybe he was setting up a scenario in case that DNA he had agreed to give was found at the crime scene. I mean, it's either that or the man is dumber than dirt. I'll let you decide. Anyhow, Ivan agreed to come in for another interview, and Detective Salazar got back to work. Roughly a week after his initial interview, on February 9, 2015, Detective Salazar called Kales to set up another interview. Clearly, he had several more questions, and Ivan Kales agreed to come in the following morning. The next morning, Detective Salazar's phone rang, but it wasn't Ivan. It was the friend he had been staying with, and that friend notified the detective that Ivan had left his property in the middle of the night and took all his worldly possessions with him. Ivan Kales was on the run. Detective Salazar obtained an arrest warrant for Ivan Kales on February 12, 2015. According to that episode of Murder in the Heartland, investigators learned that Ivan had a history of violence and that his ex-wife actually had to flee the state in order to escape him. Concerned for the public and wanting to get their hands on the man they now believed had murdered Roxanne Houston, the Taos County Sheriff spoke to the press. According to the Register Herald, the sheriff stated that they believed Kales had left the state and the U.S. Marshals would lead the manhunt. It didn't take long before a hot tip came in from someone who claimed to know Ivan. The tipster informed Detective Salazar that Ivan had fled the Taos area but hadn't exactly left the state and was living in a shelter in Santa Fe, roughly 70 miles from Taos, under the alias of Joseph Richmond. Santa Fe PD was notified and they located Joseph at the shelter on February 23, 2015. 
but he didn't match a description of the photographs released of Ivan Kales. To be sure, the officer with Santa Fe PD snapped a photo and sent it to Detective Salazar, and he agreed. This man looked nothing like his perp. Once again, Detective Salazar was about to let him go. But then Mrs. Salazar reminded him of something. Ivan Kales had pretty distinctive tattoos on his forearms. So he asked the officer with Kales to send photos of Joseph's forearm tats. And they matched. Joseph Richmond was Ivan Kales, and a police officer's wife had helped crack the case. I'm going to bet that's happened more than a few times. Kales was transported back to Taos to face murder charges. And let me just say, seeing the photos side by side, it's not surprising he wasn't immediately identified. Dude had not only changed his name, but somehow his entire appearance. He had cut his hair, grew facial hair, ditched his glasses, and somehow aged 15 years in the span of two weeks or so. The shit was wild. I'll post the photos on my social media so you can see for yourself. Salazar got his second chance to speak with Ivan and confronted him with all the evidence again. While Kales denied killing Roxanne, he now claimed he was schizophrenic and could have murdered her during an episode and not remembered. He wasn't saying that's what happened, but it could have. And with that, Ivan Kales was held in jail awaiting trial. Before we get into all that, if you've been around for a while, then you may recall way on back in episode 11, we talked about the rainbow family of living light. The episode was titled The Dark Side of the Rainbow. There were missing people, suspicious deaths, and murders associated with the so-called tribesmen of the family. I'll be damned if while researching this case, I didn't come across the Rainbow Fam yet again. Ivan Kales had some sort of tie to Rainbow Family of Living Light, which wasn't exactly shocking given his transient lifestyle. According to the Register Herald, Kales had written a post on an online forum for the Rainbow Family, stating on the forum that he had moved to the Taos area to introduce himself to a new lifestyle, claiming he was a survivalist, but quote, not the nut job hoarding food and ammo type. Interesting. Moving on and right back into the story. Time ticked on and things were moving at a snail's pace. An entire year passed with Kales in jail and a trial date waiting to be set. Investigators believed they knew exactly who had killed Roxanne Houston and how. But one question remained. Why? There was seemingly no motive. Roxanne didn't have a ton of cash, so robbery wouldn't make sense. The pair never had a romantic relationship, so that's out. And besides a few squabbles about what Ivan referred to as Roxanne's lies, a motive was hard to come by. But that was about to change real quick and in a hurry, when a podmate of Kale's requested to speak to officials. And what this jailhouse informant revealed to police changed everything. According to police transcripts, on February 3, 2016, the informant voluntarily sat down with Detective Salazar at the Taos County Jail and revealed that he had information regarding the murder of Roxanne Houston. A lot of information. Ivan Kales had spoken with this informant multiple times, 
and in several conversations disclosed details about Roxanne's murder. And it all started with the cleaner Kales had used to clean his Jeep. Somehow, in the course of conversation, Ivan Kales had just blurted out that he had used an orange cleaner to wipe out his Jeep and that this particular cleaner kills DNA. In further conversations, he told the informant that the bullet that, quote, killed the lady was from a firearm he owned. And this was all information that Salazar already knew. Nothing earth-shattering yet, besides the fact that Kales had allegedly admitted it to another human being. But then the informant changed the subject and started talking about Ivan Kales' drawings. Drawings that he claimed officials could find in his bunk. Pictures that he signed The Witch Hunter, a title he had given himself. In these drawings, Kales seemingly depicted himself as a Native American witch hunter. His podmate claimed that Kales indicated that he was a witch hunter and Roxanne Houston was a witch. This informant went on to say that Kales claimed Roxanne's body had been burned because, quote, they burned witches to keep their spirit from coming out, and they cut off their hands just as Roxy's had been. If Detective Salazar had any hesitation in believing a jailhouse informant, it was squashed right then and there, because as they had with most details of this case, the fact that Roxanne Houston's hands had been cut off by her killer was a fact that had been released to no one. After a quick search of Ivan Kale's cell, multiple witch hunter sketches were located. One sketch depicted a Native American witch hunter walking away from a slain body, presumed to be that of a witch. I just want to point out here that what is depicted in these drawings and the later claims made by Kales are the beliefs of Ivan Kales and Ivan Kales alone and do not reflect the beliefs of indigenous people. Further court documents reveal that in conversations with the informant and others, Kales claimed to be part Native American, a fact that, again, I can't find corroborated by anyone. He also expressed an interest in the Native American lore of skinwalkers, stating that if a Native found a skinwalker, that they would kill them. Let's jump right in there for a hot minute. But before we do, I want to give just one more disclaimer. I'm no expert on the legend of the skinwalker, and varying tales and theories of its origin exist. However, I couldn't just gloss over the fact that skinwalkers were mentioned without researching it. So here we are. I did my best in tracking down the most correct information about the origins of the skinwalker. My apologies in advance if I got something wrong. And with that said, here's what I found. According to Legends of America, the legend of the skinwalker originated in Navajo culture. From there, it extended into other tribes and other cultures. But since it originated with the Navajo people, their beliefs are what we'll discuss. A skinwalker is a type of witch that has the ability to turn into, possess, or disguise themselves as an animal most commonly predatory animals such as coyotes, wolves, foxes, cougars, dogs, and bears. But according to the legend, they can take the shape of any animal. They then wear the skins of the animals they transform into, which is how the name Skinwalker came about. 
it is believed that wearing animal skulls or antlers on their heads brings them more power. And the animal they choose to become depends on what ability needed at the moment for whatever mission they're on. They're not limited to just one animal and can shapeshift into many. How does one become a skinwalker? I'm so glad you asked. According to All That's Interesting, some believe that skinwalkers were once medicine men who achieved the highest level of priesthood, but then used their powers for evil. In other traditions, according to Legends of America, anyone can become a skinwalker. But first, they must be initiated by a secret society, after performing the evilest of deeds. The wannabe skinwalker has to kill a close family member, most often a sibling. Anthropologist at the University of Nevada, Dan Benishek, describes skinwalkers, stating, Skinwalkers are purely evil and intent. The general view is that skinwalkers do all sorts of terrible things. They make people sick, they commit murders. And for all the lore surrounding the legend, you'll be hard-pressed to find too many indigenous people who are comfortable talking about it. The reason? It's believed that merely talking about skinwalkers will attract their attention and draw them to you. Um, I think it's time we get back to the story. According to court documents, Ivan Kales claimed that Roxanne Houston was a witch who once made spell-casting motions over him. He believed she was trying to curse him. He stated that he would feel justified in killing someone who cursed him. It appears Kales believed that in order to break the curse, he had to kill her. It was literally a modern-day witch hunt. Suddenly, that statement Roxy's friend Sunshine had claimed Roxanne made made perfect sense. The one that if she was ever found dead, it would be because of her beliefs. According to friends and family, Roxanne Houston was a practicing Wiccan. Wicca is a nationally recognized religion that is commonly misrepresented and often misunderstood. According to History.com, Wicca is a nature-based pagan religion. Most observations include the festival celebration of solstices and equinoxes, the honoring of a male god and a female goddess and the incorporation of herbalism and other natural objects into rituals. Wiccans practice their religion according to a strong ethical code. Another quick disclaimer, I'm nowhere near an expert on the Wiccan religion practices, rituals, or beliefs either. They are vastly different for each individual that identifies as Wiccan, but there does seem to be several common threads throughout. The most important being, that Wiccans do no harm. According to the book Wicca for Life, Wicca opposes the use of negative, harmful magic and discourages people from hurting others, physically or even emotionally. Many Wiccans believe in the threefold law, a guideline that states that whatever a person wishes upon someone else returns to them three times over. So if one were to cast an evil spell or wish harm on another, they would get it three times worse. By all accounts, Roxy was compassionate and peaceful, but tragically, she had predicted the motive for her own murder. In March of 2016, the trial finally began. The prosecution argued that Kales killed Roxanne because he believed she was a witch 
who had cast a spell on him. The jailhouse informant and another friend of Kale's testified about the statements he had made about spellcasting, skinwalkers, and witchcraft. The drawings taken from his cell were entered into evidence. Testimony was given by a ballistics expert that linked the bullet back to Kale's gun, which he had sold to another man after Roxy's murder. That man had turned the weapon over to police. Remember when I told you to tuck that full moon detail in your cap? Well, it's time to bring it out. It was also revealed in court that a calendar had been found in Kale's possession that had the words, Roxanne left Johnny, scribbled on June 13th, 2014, right above the pre-printed text reading Full Moon. The calendar was found along with a map of the Two Peaks area with a blue handwritten circle seemingly denoting an important location or maybe one Kales had visited before. The location? The area in which Roxanne's body had been found. A handwritten note was also recovered that began with Kales jotting down some notes about his childhood, but further went on to read. Speaking in tongues, feel fear. Her eyes rolled back. Holding knife, have gun, in bus, watching, lunges, fall back. She snaps back. Chair underside torn out. Hear Brandon morning after Johnny gets back. On Two Peaks, witches all over Two Peaks area. She practice witchery. Holding hands over my head, eyes closed, mouth moving. It's clear Ivan Kales was no poet, but he was pretty good at documenting his version of his crimes. Photos of this letter, Kale's drawings, the calendar, and more will all be posted to my socials in case you want to take a look. The Jeep, the lies, and Ivan Kale's talk about details of the crime that only police and the killer would know was also presented to the jury. And the defense? They dismissed all the evidence about Kale's being a self-described witch hunter and instead carried on in the throwing shade parade and suggested that either Johnny or Vernon had killed Roxanne. The defense claimed there was enough reasonable doubt to return a verdict of not guilty. But the jury disagreed, and after four and a half hours of deliberation, found Ivan Dennings Kale guilty of murder in the first degree and two counts of tampering with evidence on March 18, 2016. He was later sentenced to life in prison. Ivan Kales filed an appeal, which was denied, followed by a writ of habeas corpus, which was also denied. But like that annoying fly that just won't go away, he was back at it as recently as December of 2021, asking the Supreme Court of New Mexico, in handwritten documents, to review the lower court's denial of that habeas corpus filing, in what's known as a writ of certiorari. I'll keep you posted on how that goes. Roxanne Houston will be remembered by everyone who knew and loved her as an all-around good girl who did everything in her power to help those around her, even though she herself didn't have much to spare. She distributed food to those in the Two Peaks area who didn't have access to a vehicle. She took care of her friend Stan 
and many of her neighbors with love and compassion. Roxy was an artist who sometimes sold her crafts at the Rio Grande Gorge Bridge. She always made time for her friend Sunshine. Sure, her life may have been viewed as unconventional by some, but her life was worth no less because of it, and her story deserves to be told. Huge shout out once again to Wheeler Cowperthwaite at New Mexico Homicide for his help on this case. You can find Wheeler over at nmhomicide.com, where he covers little-known homicides in the state of New Mexico. His case write-ups are incredible, and he doesn't spare a single detail. He also covers in-custody and jail deaths, which happen way more frequently than any of us would like to believe. You can also follow him on Twitter at Wheeler Reporter or at NM Homicides. I'll be sure to link all his information in the show notes. Thanks again, Wheeler. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button because I'll be bringing you an all new case next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.